0: In this new message series, What's So Amazing About Grace? we'll be looking at the scriptures that show us the way of grace, why grace is so needed and how grace can transform our lives. This message series is based on Philip Yancey's book under the same name. But today as we look at the story of Jesus and this woman at the well, We'll look at all the ways that Jesus utilizes grace to be able to bring a sense of transformation into this woman's life. And let me say this about transformation, that we all need transformation, that God did not create us to achieve any sense of spiritual or personal mountaintop experience and just stay there. But transformation, a change in our life, manifest itself in personal ways, in psychological ways, in emotional ways, in spiritual ways, so that we can break the cycles of dysfunction and selfishness and separation from God and others. So here, how Jesus offered grace to a woman we met at a well who sought to break the cycle that she found herself in. From John's Gospel, chapter 4, starting at verse 4. Now he had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tried as he was tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it itself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will be come in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He told her go back and call your husband. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had 5 husbands and the man you are now that the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said what you have just said is quite true. The woman said, I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Then leaving the water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, open our ears to hear your word. Open our minds so that we can understand, and open up our hearts to receive your love so that we may manifest your grace in our lives and the lives of others. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you do a news search of the word grace, don't do it now on your phones, you'll listen to the sermon, but if you you were to look for the word grace in a news search, you won't really find the word grace utilized. You'll find stories about maybe people named grace or organizations that have grace in the name But if you think about it, grace is not necessarily a concept or a word that's widely talked about outside of church or maybe outside of the Christian community. But we still see grace every day. It's just we may not use or employ that word. Comedian Jay Leno once received a letter from a boy who was a young fan and found himself in a predicament. And Jay Leno shares what happened. In an interview once, he said, I got a letter one day from a kid who said he was in trouble with the, because he told his friends that I was his uncle. And he would go driving the boy around in the Lamborghini. And the, all the friends of this boy called him a big liar. But he wrote me, and he wanted to know if I could give him a ride to school in my Lamborghini Kuntash. And so it intrigued me, so I called the kid, and of course I spoke to his mother first, and said, why don't we do this next week? So Jay Leno recalls, I drove out there where the kid lived, and I picked him up, and then we waited for the most opportune time. When all the buses came in front of the school, and the doors of the school flew wide open, and all the kids started filing in, that's when we pulled up, In the Lamborghini in front of all his friends, and he yells out, bye, Uncle Jay. And I say, okay, Billy, take care. I'll pick you up next week, and we'll go driving in my Lamborghini. And their mouths were hanging open, Jay Leno says. It was hysterical. I would call this an act of grace, a celebrity coming to an aid of a boy who maybe fibbed a little bit about who his uncle was. But as as humorous as it is in a small way, this is what grace looks like. That despite our errors, despite the untruth, despite wrongdoing, despite patterns of dysfunction, grace breaks the cycles in our everyday life. What's remarkable about Jay Leno's story is that Jay Leno looked, Past the fib that this boy told his friends, and decided to act with kindness. But I want to know, what led this boy to lie to his friends? Was he bullied? Did he grow up in a fractured family? Did he struggle at school? But whatever led this boy to tell his friends that Jay Leno was his uncle... And instead of ignoring or telling the boy to just get lost, Jay Leno chose grace. And I suppose the the boy's word became true because Jay Leno kind of became an uncle-like person in his life. But why is this word grace not utilized so much outside the Christian community? I think it's because we choose to use other words, like acts of kindness, gentleness, goodness. But we don't often use this word with everyone we encounter. Because grace says that in the face of wrong, in the face of cycles of brokenness or unhealthy practices, grace says, I choose to give you something that is undeserved in order to preserve goodness over hate or indifference. When Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus came face to face with someone who was stuck in a cycle. She was stuck in a cycle of ungrace, and I want to kind of illustrate this a little bit for you this morning. This woman This woman here she was stuck in a cycle that found her in a very difficult situation because as we read she's a Samaritan and if you know a little bit of your ancient history you know that Samaritans and Jews they didn't get along they lived in different cultures some 5 600 years before Jesus that the Babylonians came into the land, Israel, and kicked out all of God's people, and they were deported. We call it the Babylonian exile. But some 500, 600 years after that happened, as God's people started to return, there were differences between those who stayed, those who stayed in Samaria, and those Jews who were deported to Babylon. And they differed over the law, they differed over where to worship, And so over time, these Samaritans became distinct from God's people. And the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't get along. So this first cycle that this woman finds herself in, she finds herself in a culture clash of sorts. That even as Jesus encounters this woman, she is very aware of the differences between Jews and Samaritans. And this played out in the life of Jesus. If you read the Gospels, Jesus talked about the story of the good Samaritan, someone who God's people didn't think was good, Jesus said, did a good act. And God's people, the Israelites in the time of Jesus, they're constantly, and actually, they would actually, when they traveled to the north, they would actually go around Samaria. They would go around the towns in Samaria to avoid the Samaritans. So there is a tremendous sense of a culture clash that's going on in this woman's life. This is the first part of her cycle. The second part of her cycle is that she is caught in this very difficult dynamic of her community, that people know her past, they know perhaps that she was married several times, they know that the person that she's with that she's not married to. And in a culture in the time of Jesus, this was considered to do something that was unclean, that was against the law. And so as this woman goes to the well, she goes at the hottest point of the day. Nobody wants to go to the well when it's the hottest point of the day. You go in the morning or you go in the evening when it's cooler, but it's just Jesus and this woman. And she probably went to avoid conflict. This conflict was in her life. Jesus knows that's in her life, talked about it. But the third thing that we know about this woman is that she has a history. Right? She has baggage. Her and Jesus start talking about this history, her relational past, and maybe how it hasn't led to great decisions in her life. But she has a history, and probably everyone in her town knew that this history was there in her life. And because of the culture, because of the conflict in her life, this baggage that she carries, she's stuck in this cycle. But there's one last thing that we learn from this story. That this woman thirsts. She talks about how her ancestor Jacob established the well. She was very cognizant of her spiritual religious tradition. She was very cognizant that the Samaritans and the Jews, they worshiped separately. She was aware of this, and she was aware that there was a time when a Messiah would come to establish and save God's people. She's aware of this, and she thirsts not only to be quenched by water at the well— but she has a spiritual longing. She has a spiritual thirst to thrive. But this woman is caught in this cycle over and over and over again. So what are her options? Continue in the cycle or break the cycle? I think this woman is not too different from us, because if we want to take this woman's name out, who she's unnamed, and we put our name here, us, we're not so different. We fight against a culture that may be at odds with our spiritual religious convictions, that we know that there are things that we struggle with, that the values we have as Christ followers aren't necessarily the values that everyone else has. We also have conflict in our own life, in our homes, at work, in our relationships, just like this woman had conflict in her life. We all have a history. We all have made good and bad decisions. This woman, she has her own history. We have our own baggage as well, but also... We all thirst. We thirst and long for that connection with God. We thirst for that spiritual connection on our worst days, on our best days. We, like this woman, we have a thirst and hunger to know God in a way that's transformative. But Jesus' answer to this, in every way he interacted to this woman was grace. Because it's very clear that in her life, because she's at the well by herself, trying to avoid her history, her past, trying to avoid her community, trying to avoid the conflict, she has experienced what we call sometimes not disgrace, but disgrace. Sometimes we call that ungrace. That she's experienced in her life we go through this cycle and we long for someone or something to break it now what's amazing about these cycles in our life is that if we truly want transformation we truly want to break it i think we all have to look at our story this woman had a story we all have a story And sometimes we tell ourselves and we lie to ourselves that we are undeserving of God's love or grace. Author and psychologist Brene Brown encourages us to see how we understand our stories like the woman at the well. And sometimes they can hold us down or hold us back from real human or spiritual thriving She writes, when we can let go of what other people think of our story, we gain access to our worthiness. The feeling that we are not enough, the feeling that we are unworthy of love and belonging, that if we spend a lifetime trying to distance ourselves from the parts of our lives that don't fit who we think we're supposed to be, she says we stand outside our story and we hustle for worthiness by constantly performing, perfecting, pleasing, and proving. And I think Jesus wanted to come into this woman's life and be offer, offer a type of grace that says, I know that there are cultural problems. I know that there's conflict in your life. I know you have a history I know that you thirst, but I want to offer you something to break that cycle. And I want to offer you grace. A type of grace. Because Jesus, as a rabbi, could have said to her, here's the law, now get in line with the law. Or Jesus could say, here are the rules of Judaism. Jesus could have ignored her could have tried to set her straight. No, instead, he offered grace in his presence to listen to her story, to be present, and to share the good news for her life, that she did not have to be stuck in this cycle over and over. Jesus offered her a sense of worth, that these unhealthy patterns of her life could be stopped, that she, with the aid of God, could distance herself from who she thought she had to be and accept the moment, the moment that as John chapter 1 verse 14 says, that God came near, that dwelt in the flesh full of grace and truth. Jesus showed this woman that grace is not a performance-based gift. It is an unmerited gift. Not anything that she had to do to earn it. She didn't have to earn his attention. She didn't have to earn Jesus' love. That because of the love of God the Father revealed in the Son, expressed by the Holy Spirit, she was already a child of God. Jesus offered hospitality. That he... Abandoned the norms of his day, of how men and women interacted, and was able to be the presence of grace in her life. And the woman learned that the cycle of her past, the conflict in her life, the culture that didn't welcome her, and her constant thirst for spiritual thriving could be found that Jesus turned that disgrace or ungrace and turned it into grace in her life. Father Greg Boyle works in some of the most gang-ridden places in Los Angeles. And for many years, as he ministered as a priest in Los Angeles, he saw the cycles, the generational cycles, cycles of violence, cycles of harm play out every day. And he decided to do something about it, and he recounts what he did with his work with gangs and felons in his book, Tattoos of the Heart. In which his ministry that he created, Homeboy Industries, gives jobs and relationships and friendships in a grace-filled community to a people who have lost and have experienced disgrace and ungrace in their life. And in the book, he recalls a man named Bandit who was well-named because he was at home with all things illegal in his life, his words. But he came to see Greg Boyle after he got locked up for selling crack cocaine, and he got out of jail. And he took a, took a job, an entry-level job, in a warehouse with Homeboy Industries, and started that process of finding that value, that grace in his life. And Greg Boyle recounts that some 15 years went by, and he heard from Bandit. Now he runs his own warehouse. He has a home, a wife, and kids. And he heard that he wanted Father Boyle to bless his oldest daughter, not because she was in trouble, but because she was going to be the first in her family to go to college. And Greg tells Bandit how proud he is. And Bandit with Tears in his eyes answers, for the first time in my life, I'm proud of myself because all my life, people called me a low life, and I guess I showed them. So what changed in Bandit's life? Well, Greg Boyle and the people of Homeboy Industries decided to break the cycles of disgrace or ungrace and offer the love of Christ and meaningful relationships and compassion. Greg Boyle calls this the slow work of God helping the soul to feel its worth. He says it is the strategy of Jesus not on taking the right stand, but rather standing in the right place. And Jesus met a Samaritan woman at the well. He was standing in the right place. That he met a person who felt powerless in cycles of shame. Jesus stood in the right place to show her a better way. The spiritual path that we all must take and undergo is being able to offer gifts of compassion and love and grace in the face of evil, in the face of sin, in the face of wrongdoing, and just patterns as dysfunction so that people can see that in their life, there is a better way to live. They do not have to live in disgrace or ungrace, that they can live in the grace of God. However, you or I or anyone else going to be able to heal if we turn a blind eye or indifference to people at the bottom of the pile of life. Paul states that he experienced that God was telling him this, my grace is sufficient for you. Power is made perfect in weakness from 2 Corinthians 19. That is in direct opposition to a world that says power begets more power. Evil must be faced with evil. Hate must be faced with hate. But Jesus surprises us in the most wonderful way that when we face evil, when we face patterns and cycles of harm or dysfunction, we must give unmerited gifts of grace, of compassion, of kindness. That is how people can break the cycles in their life when we show them that there is a better way. Because I'm sure there's someone in your life right now, and you're probably thinking about them right now, who has hurt you, who has defamed you, who has forgotten you. I'm sure there's someone in your life who is at the communal well of the community, who is not seen because of their past mistakes, I'm sure there's someone in your life who has lived patterns of self-harm and you want to avoid them. I'm sure there's someone in your life where this sermon can fit into their life. Because you and I are made to be grace givers. Since Jesus has given us the most compassionate and gracious gift of eternal life, That message or love cannot be lost on our actions and in our words. That the only way to break the cycles of ungrace or disgrace in people's lives is to, like Jesus, welcome those people and show them the love of God so that the grace and the power of God can break through. There's a world out there that thirsts for wholeness and you and I must show grace undeserved to the people we encounter. So may you this week go and stand in the right place at the right time and allow the slow work of God to transform and heal and point people to a brighter future. And that is good news. Let us pray. God, I know that there is many of us who struggle with grace. We struggle with acts of compassion. We struggle with acts of love. Because there are some people who have hurt us too much. There are some people who demand too much of our time. There are some people we think when we give an inch they'll want a foot but God you have graciously saved us from everything that we have done wrong everything we will do wrong and God you've forgiven us with eternal life God this week may not that be not be lost on us. That Lord, even as we prayed today for us to be forgiven of our wrongs, our trespasses, that God, we must forgive others. God, help us to see that in systems and cycles of injustice, of oppression, of choices that can be corrected, But God, there are these cycles that people live through, and the only way to break those cycles is to show them the type of grace we've been given, that we can be givers and receivers of grace to other people. Help us to see that it is something that is not earned. It is something that is a gift. So God, may we go this week and give gifts of grace in small ways, in conversations, in word, and like Jesus, in proximity, standing in the right place so that, God, your slow work of goodness may work in someone else's life. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.